If you are filing a tax return jointly, you or your spouse qualify as a real estate professional, then you get to deduct all of your real estate losses regardless of your income. So that's kind of the goal. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. We are, uh, Hello. neither one of us are on, no, Heather's on location today. That's true. Like I am one on of location us is always today. on location. <sighs> Living the dream, right? That's what you do. Live your vision. <laughs> well, we have a special guest, returning guest. I'm not even sure how many times you've been on the on the show, Warren, but at least two or three. Yeah, apparently, yeah, you I think this is your lesson three. yet. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, or, or the tax law keeps changing. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Well, it's just a fun topic to talk about, you know, taxes and and how to pay our fair share. Warren, uh, just good thing to go into the holiday season with. That's right. That's right. So Warren Tarl is back with us from Tarl Accounting. He is uh, my CPA, Heather CPA, and a whole bunch of other people's CPAs, a bunch of really cool people you probably know, like, and trust, and love, and everything else. Use Warren, and you'll find out why today as he shares some knowledge with us. I'm excited. I'm always... The thing is, when you start at a show and you say you're going to talk about taxes or IRS or anything like that, Warren, most people glaze over, um, you know, hit the little red button that, that kills the show. But Warren is actually fun to listen to and he knows his stuff. So I think there's only two CPAs that I've ever met who could hold an audience talking about taxes. And and Warren is at the top of the list. So you guys are all in for a treat today. So you I guys agree. Are and when like you're you saving money, yeah. And you guys all went on location. So I figured I'd come down and check out the tax bunker, you know, with the 87,000 new agents. I don't need to go in here just yet, but, we, you know, making sure it's all dusted off and the, the wires are all connected still. And That's right. Make sure the door lock the best works. Background Most ever. importantly, make, make sure that vault door works, buddy. <laughs> For those of you listening, you need to go on YouTube and check out where Warren's sitting. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Or not, sure. I don't know. Or not. For sure. <laughs> well, welcome back, Warren. We're going to pummel you with questions today, and hopefully everybody's going to get a whole bunch of, of value from this. A couple of topics that yeah. I know, Heather, people have been asking us about specifically that neither Heather yes. nor I want to even come close to trying to tackle. So It's true. This has probably been one of the most requested among our team as well internally. Hey, if you could, I, I said, who do you want to hear from on the podcast? What's, what's the content do you want to hear? And I usually ask that on a weekly basis. And it's been sitting on my calendar, on our agenda in the calendar saying, yes, I have scheduled <laughs> to have Warren on the podcast. So stop asking me. So it's definitely more exciting to talk about taxes when you talk about saving money on taxes. Like... Mm -hmm. That's a whole different ballgame than let's talk about taxes, I think. But, right. you know, it's exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. Death and taxes. So, and yes, exactly. If you could talk a little bit about what real estate investors should know, maybe in finding a CPA or just things they don't want to miss. Just kind of a broad, broad question first, and then we'll get into some more detailed questions. Okay. Well, let's start with broad then and, and, and really rental real estate. So first of all, you want to clarify, you know, guys who are doing flips and that kind of stuff, 
that's a great business to be in, but that's not what we're talking about right now. It's not a tax savings business. One of those things that can generate a lot of money and then you got to worry about tax savings. But to save the money, we're doing buy and hold, right? We want to we want to buy rental properties. And maybe you should back up a second and say why, right? Why is there tax benefits for people who buy rental properties and, and rent them out to people? Well, the government, and as much as I like to make fun of them, they do get a couple of things right. And one of the things they realize is that people need places to live. And we should probably encourage the private sector to help people find places to live. Otherwise, the government has to do it. And we all know what a wonderful job the government does in providing housing for people. Well, providing anything. Let's just be honest. (laughs) So (laughs) it's the wrong time of the year for this, Ron. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Lord, I I am. I am. I am. My bunker is hidden here in Maricopa County. So we're not going to talk about counting or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they should have hired some um, CPAs to help them count out there. Yeah, well, they got Big Bird on the way. I saw a meme about that. He's going to teach them how to count. Yeah, Big Bird. I saw that one too. Yeah. Yeah. This is why Heather's here. You're not keeping us focused, Heather. Yeah, Heather, this is going to be ugly if uh, Warren and I are just going to go off on tangents. I'm over here going, so tell us, I want to back up from what you said. Tell us why. The you can't flip real estate and get as much of the tax savings. So, 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 well, the government's trying to encourage people to provide housing for people. So they encourage, I say encourage, sometimes I say bribe. So they give us tax breaks to do certain things that are in the public benefit. Flipping houses, they don't necessarily consider that in the public benefit, right? But renting somebody a place to live is huge. You, it is truly helping people to give them a place to live and give them a nice place to live, right? So they give us a deduction called depreciation on an asset that, well, normally appreciates. So mm-hmm. either they're just really screwed up, well, I'm not going to go there, Ron, uh, really screwed up in giving us a depreciation deduction on an appreciating asset, or they're trying to encourage us to do something. And I take it that they're trying to encourage us to do something. So owning a rental property, it's not the sexiest tax strategy in the world to say, hey, I'm kind of doing what the government wants me to do, but Mm. we're not going to get into trouble that way. And they are giving us money to do it. So why not? Right. So depreciation, it's a non-cash expense. We're going to talk a lot about depreciation in this little section here, I think. But depreciation is a non-cash expense. It's based on what you pay for the property, right? So normally, when we talk about taking a deduction or having an expense, let's say you have a regular business, say you're flipping houses, right? So you're flipping houses, you got your gross profit after you paid for the house you flipped, and then you got a bunch of expenses you can deduct. And obviously, we try to look for all the expenses we can. But all of those expenses, like your car and meals and travel and all these things, it's costing you money out of your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. So depreciation costs you nothing out of your pocket. It's based on Which the price of, of the property. So it's mm-hmm. if you have a rental property, I'll see these little simple little numbers. If you have rental property that cash flows positive $5,000 a year. So every year, $5,000 goes into your bank, right? Then Mm -hmm. let's also say on that property, you have $8,000 worth of depreciation. Well, I love that. (laughs) Fuck today. So basically what we mean is 
Now, you'll show for tax purposes a $3,000 loss, even though you put $5,000 in the bank. You just That's the magic of real estate. We call those paper losses, right? Because they're not real losses, they're paper losses. And the depreciation coupled with the ability to leverage, get mortgages. You know, if you buy a $400,000 property, it doesn't cost you $400,000, $400, doesn't come out of your bank account, right? So we yeah. can leverage and we can take depreciation. And that's what makes real estate tax magic. Hmm. Yeah, I love and that. That's the, I think, um, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, that's the kindest explanation of yeah. of our politicians that I've ever heard, Warren, is that they <laughs> did something right and they did it for the benefit of everyone else. Ooh, when the, public. when oh, the yeah. reality is they're just selfish bastards who use the same stuff. They voted exactly. it in for themselves. And we now get to use it as well because, well, they put it in the tax code. Right. And that's the cool yeah. thing, right? The tax code, and people always look at me crazy when I say this, the tax code is fair. They go, what the, what are you talking about? How is the tax code fair? Like, well, it treats everybody the same. I go, what do you mean it treats everybody the same? Okay, well, it treats everybody the same who does the same things. It, the yep. tax code is not a respecter of persons, it's a respecter of actions. Man, that is, I, I hope point. everybody, I hope everybody heard that because that is, that's actually gold. That's the truth. And so many people rail on, myself included, on the government for what they do. But, but that thing actually is, I, I've never thought of it that way, Warren. That's, that's the truth. And I tell people all the time, instead of getting pissed off at people who are utilizing the tax code as it's written, yeah. why not be one of them? Right. Yep, exactly. And I think that, it's super powerful. I mean, we we talked about in our masterclass more in a couple of weeks ago with our investors, we did a penny a day and a penny a day taxed and a penny a day taxed with the inflation, meaning saving, we're doubling your penny. I mean, doubling right. your penny every day. And the impact that taxation has on being able to grow your wealth. I mean, it's oh, yeah. just it's, staggering. It's huge. I just did a slide. I just, yeah. it's so funny. I have, a sli- I have a couple of slides I did on that too. Exact same thing, doubling a penny. Really? Uh, and yeah, basically it's what was it, like 22,000 versus like yeah. five, five million. Yeah. 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 And people don't understand it's, it's why this is such a big deal and why it's so important. And, you know, why we have you on to talk about this occasionally is because this is so important. People don't realize how big of a theft of wealth it is if you overpay taxes. I'm not saying don't pay taxes that you owe, that would be stupid. But I am saying pay only what you owe and don't pay any more than that. And in order to do that, you have to understand the tax code. And that's, that's where people like you come in. So, and we're not talking about doing weird, exotic, you know, hide your money offshore, do these kinds of things. No, again, what we're doing is going back and doing what the government wants us to do. They gave us tax breaks for a reason and anybody's entitled to use them. Mm -hmm. And it's the opportunities there. And it's funny because my husband is one of those people that was like, this feels wrong. And I have one of our team members, she's been buying rental properties and her husband said, this just feels wrong. Like this feels like we can't do this. Like how is this even legal? Like what we're doing this can't because he's an accountant, but he doesn't deal with, you know, taxation like that. Right. There's lots of fields of accounting. So he just said, I don't know about this. Are we going to go to jail? It was kind of a joke. Right. But I mean, it is legally put there for our use and other people use it. So why wouldn't you, you know? 
I mean, where it gets yeah. really crazy, like, so we've got guys doing really big deals and stuff like that. And they have, you know, million dollar businesses or close to million dollar businesses, but then they're also doing real estate and making it go away. And quite literally, they're qualifying for food stamps because you're looking, they look at their net bottom line income. They all got the stimulus checks that, you know, those me is like, how did you get a stimulus check? Well, I invested in real estate. Yeah. That's true. So I want to talk a little bit more about the depreciation and how it works when you qualify as a real estate professional on your taxes. So tell us when you're a real estate professional, what is the difference with the bonus depreciation that you can have versus just straight line depreciation? Well, yeah. So let's talk about that concept first of all. So, and it's not necessarily just the depreciation, it's any real estate loss. So Real estate is considered passive income. Maybe even just take one step further back. And this might be a really basic for a lot of you, but heck, I get to be the guest. I get to talk about what I want. <laughs> so the tax code, they created three kinds of income. And this all happened in my lifetime, right? There used to be one income and it was much simpler tax code. Then they changed the tax code. This is, it would be a great subject for another day, but They changed the tax code when it related to real estate investing, and it's what caused the savings and loan crisis and the economy crash back in the, what was that, 90s, 80s, 90s, trying to remember now. But anyhow, we have three kinds of income. Then think of them as three different buckets. We have earned income, which is when you trade your time or your knowledge for money. So basically, if you get a W-2 or you run a business, that's earned income. The opposite end of that is passive income, where your money is working for you. You really don't do anything. You invest and your investment makes you money. That comes into the passive bucket. There's this third bucket because they really wanted to make it more complicated. We'll say it that way, called portfolio income. To all of us, it looks exactly like passive income, but they didn't want it to be. Portfolio income is paper assets, those things like stocks and bonds, so interest and dividends. And those. Each one of those buckets are taxed slightly differently. and the activity from each of those buckets stays in the bucket. In other words, what I mean by that is, let's say you, well, let's say this rental real estate by definition is in the passive bucket. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, it's by definition, the, the, the Congress defined rental real estate as passive income. So it's in that passive bucket. And so if you have a rental property that loses money, whether it loses money because of depreciation or maybe you're just, you know, the wrong property, wrong management, whatever, it's losing money. That loss can only be used for other passive income. So you would need another rental property that made money or some other kind of passive investment. And if the losses exceed the income, the passive income, then what's ever left over rolls forward to the next year. And then we get a look, do they have any passive income this year? No. Okay. And it keeps rolling forward indefinitely until either you do use up that loss because you found some other passive income or you sell whatever it was that created the passive loss, even if you sell it at a loss. So if you have a rental house and you've had it for four or five years and it lost some money for four or five years and you've never been able to use it, you sell it then, all those losses free up and we get to take that against your W-2 or whatever else we want to. So that's the general rule. There's two exceptions to that general rule. The first exception says 
that you can deduct up to $50,000 worth of real estate losses against any other kind of income so long as you make less than $100,000 a year. So that one's kind of interesting, but not all that helpful. And that that $25,000 starts to phase out as your income goes up from $100,000 to $150,000, then it's gone entirely. So that's that rule. The second exception, and the one everybody talks about, the fun one, is qualifying as a real estate professional. If you are filing a tax return jointly, you or your spouse qualify as a real estate professional, then you get to deduct all of your real estate losses regardless of your income. So that's kind of the goal. And to be a real estate professional, just to round this off, to be a real estate professional, it's not licensing or anything like that. It's a time test. And that time test says, one, that you spend at least 750 hours a year in real estate business. And two, the harder part is that you spend more time in real estate business than you do any other income producing activity. So if you have a full-time job, 2,080 hours a year, it's kind of harder to hit 2,080 hours in one minute on something else. So that's the groundwork we have. Yeah, that's so so thorough and good. Keep going. Okay. So that real estate professional status is is really important. There's a lot of directions we can go from here with it. But I want to bring up one thing, two things, really. Three things. Now you you really do sound like a politician. (laughs) Or 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 one of those uh one of those White House reporters. Those are two. No, I have five questions. Uh bam, bam, bam. Yeah. So so with One time, so sometimes people will come to me and go, okay, well, I make too much money. I make 200,000 a year, let's say. I make too much money and I work like a crazy person. I'm never going to qualify as a real estate professional and no way am I getting married just to qualify. So they'll come back and say, so real estate is not a good investment for me. And I'll say, no, you're you're forgetting something really big. Remember my example, that $5,000 cash flow a year that goes into the bank mm-hmm. and we have eight thousand dollars worth of depreciation so we have a three thousand dollar loss well if you're that two hundred thousand dollar a year single guy or gal you're going to look at that th- that three thousand dollars that you can't deduct and go see this is no good i can't deduct that three thousand dollars but they're overlooking the fact that they just put five thousand dollars in the bank that they didn't pay taxes on mm-hmm. yep and someday they will probably sell that property and they'll be able to get all those $3,000 they hadn't been able to get all along. So just because you don't qualify that for that doesn't make this a bad idea, not at all. And most of the time, there's other things you can invest in too that are going to be passive that you can shelter that income because you have the real estate losses to do it with. So can you clarify that point about when you sell the property? So if you have those losses, you can't use them. When you sell the property, how do you use them? So when you sell those, and I'm glad you brought it up that way. So when you sell the property, let's say you've had it five years and and you've had the $3,000 consistency. So now you have a $15,000 loss carrying forward. The year you sell it, that loss now becomes a deductible loss. And it just shows up as minus $15,000 your W-2, $200,000 minus $15,000. So now you get that comes right off of your income. There's something okay. else. And this is really an interesting thing. And it gets a little bit complicated. So you know, settle down. Sip yep. some coffee. Strap in, in people. For it. Strap in. <laughs> All right. So when I said you need to have that, that passive loss can be offset by other passive income. 
Something that qualifies as passive income that people don't think about is when you sell an activity that was passive. So let's say you have a rental property. Let's say you have two rental properties, right? One rental property, let's just say it broke even. The other ones are one that lost $15,000. Let's say we sold the one that broke even and we sold it for a, let's say, $15,000 gain. That $15,000 gain that you realize from selling that property, because that property was considered a passive property, so it gets complicated, because that was considered a passive property, the $15,000 counts as passive income and will free up the $15,000 of losses on the other property. It still counts as long-term capital gains, so you still get the lower tax rate, but it also counts as passive income. So this is why there's still really good strategies for guys that say, you know, everybody wants to think I got to do a 1031 exchange if I have a big gain because I'm not a real estate professional, blah, blah, blah. But depending upon what kind of losses there are associated with that property. And also, let's say you're going to sell a property. And this is really key. Timing is really important on this one. Sorry, I've had a little bit of caffeine today. That's <laughs> uh, great. So let's say you're going to sell a property for a fairly good size gain. And it's been a rental property, so it's passive. And now you're going, okay. I don't necessarily want to do a 1031 exchange, but what can I do? You can buy another property, not doing a 1031 exchange, not being restricted by those rules, buy another property. And we'll talk about bonus depreciation and things like that, I'm sure in a minute. But we can get a big chunk of bonus depreciation now, create a big loss on that new property that we just bought. And you go, but Warren, it's a big loss. I'm not a real estate professional. I can't deduct that big loss. But remember, we just sold another property yeah. and that gain on that other property is considered passive income. So we get to still use that. It's almost like a doing a 1031 what? exchange without having to yeah. deal with all the 1031 exchange nonsense. That's amazing. I didn't realize that. Though. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, really it's, actually, cool. it's actually pretty simple, though, when you think about it. I mean, I think people could overcomplicate it. But going back to your example in the beginning of buckets, right? You have the passive income bucket. Right. All money, all income, all expenses, including the depreciation, come in and out of that bucket. Doesn't matter if you have five properties in the bucket or one property in the bucket. Exactly. In this scenario, even if you only had one property in the bucket, you sell that property out of the bucket, the gains go into the bucket. So long as you buy another property in the same year to refill the bucket, you get the depreciation from that particular property in the in a in a in a unique way we'll talk about in just a second that gives you you know potentially this this really big write off that goes against the income that's sitting there in the bucket it's really not that complicated when you when you just use that bucket scenario right when you you start mix yeah. it in there with all of your uh, you, you know with your w2 and all the other stuff it gets complicated but really that bucket's pretty simple all your rental properties go into that bucket all the money plays the same inside of that bucket it's pretty cool Really. The key to make this work is it's crucially important that the property that you buy has to be in the same tax year as the as the year you made the sale. That's uh, that's crucial. Okay. It doesn't matter what order it is, you can buy the property before you sell it. It just has to both be in the same tax year for this to work. Okay. That's really cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. And you need I've to I've been do so the focused on the real estate professional. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Talk a little bit more about the bonus. You already gave the teaser. So bonus depreciation. So bonus depreciation was 
are a gift. This is a great example of what Ron was talking about earlier, about uh, yeah. politicians being in it for themselves, although they make it look like for everybody else. So we pass, you know, I will say it, but the heck. So this was part of the Trump Tax Act, and there was a lot of really juicy, good things for real estate in there. And, you know, if you think back, what industry did Trump come out of? Yeah. So naturally, when he puts a tax law in place, he's going to put things that benefit his his industry, right? But luckily, like we said, the tax law is fair and treats everybody the same. So there we go. They created bonus depreciation, or really they expanded bonus depreciation. The idea behind bonus depreciation was they wanted to stimulate the economy by encouraging people to start investing in assets. And bonus depreciation says basically anything that we would normally depreciate 20 years or less. So all all the things, assets, the equipment, the furniture, the buildings, fixtures, all these things we put into service, we have a depreciable life set by tax law. It says these things are going to last this long. These things are, regardless of what reality is, tax code says how long things are supposed to last. And we depreciate them over that time period. In other words, basically a residential rental building is depreciated over 27 and a half years. So basically you take it, take the purchase price, divide it by 27 and a half, and that's how much you get to depreciate every year. When you buy a building, you really buy more than just the building itself. The tax law says the building lasts 27 and a half years. And if we don't do anything else at all, then we're going to assume the entire purchase minus whatever the land's worth is 27 and a half years. But really, when you buy it, you also buy personal property that's included in the building. Mm-hmm. Personal property has a life of five years. So we get it appreciated over five years. A little bit of it is seven years, but mostly it's five years. And personal property is defined as anything you can remove without causing damage. So it's going to be things like kitchen appliances and countertops and cabinets and ceiling fans and window treatments and certain kinds of flooring and all these kinds of things. And if you watch one of those home and garden rehab shows, they sledgehammer everything. So it certainly looks like it comes out with damage, but technically you can remove them without causing damage. It's just not as interesting TV that way. Uh, (laughs) So then there's also another category of things called land improvements. Land improvements have a 15 year life, not as good as five or seven, but still better than 27 and a half. So land improvements have a seven-year life. And land improvements are the things we do to the outside. I already said we can't depreciate land, but we can depreciate the things we do to the land. The driveways, the sidewalks, the landscaping, the irrigation, walls, fences, patios, swimming pools, all anything that's done on the outside has a 15-year life. So both that 15-year life land improvements and the five-year and seven-year personal property, those are both less than 20 years. So they qualify for this thing called bonus depreciation. Bonus depreciation says, again, anything with a life of 20 years or less, we get to write off immediately 100% the day you put it in service. We don't have to spread it over that useful life. So we get a big chunk of depreciation right now. Now, 2022, After this year, bonus depreciation starts to fade away. So we get 100% anything you put in service before the end of the year. Next year, it drops to just 80%, which is still very good, right? Then the cost segregation by itself is good. 
Oh, cost segregation. This is, is just like, like on steroids. This is on, yeah. and it changes the calculus a lot, right? Like, so if someone buys a $40,000 home without bonus depreciation, maybe cost segregation isn't necessarily all that great of an idea, right? Because we don't have a whole lot that we're moving into those categories. But with bonus depreciation, well, heck yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, yeah. Even at 80%. The next year after 80%, it goes to 60%, still a decent idea. Then it goes to 40 and we start really losing at 40, 20, and then gone. Hopefully, by then, we'll have different Congress. Oh, no, I shouldn't go this direction. But maybe Congress might decide that was a really good idea in stimulating the economy. And maybe by then, we'll probably need some economic stimulus again. Yeah. So maybe they'll bring it back again because it worked really, really well. Uh, or maybe, just maybe, Warren, that this Wait is one it. of those things that both parties can agree on because they're both so self-interested and they all own real estate. So so potentially, it's just in their best self-interest to do it and they'll slip it in to some bill that nobody's paying attention to except for Warren and you'll let us all know that they've re-upped it <laughs> and and all of the people who would hate it will not be the wiser. All the people who would love it will hear about it from you, and we'll go on our merry way, still writing off a ton right. of depreciation year but, one. But back to what Cynthia said too, Ron, early a second ago that yeah, just the cost segregation is still huge. Yeah, on bigger income properties, like yep. especially multifamily. Multifamily is huge either way, right? for cost segregation, because if you're thinking about the examples I gave of personal property, where's most of that found in the kitchen? So even if you're just getting a fourplex, right? What do I have? I have four kitchens. So dollar yeah. for dollar, we're doing better depreciation wise, which means better tax wise by going into multifamily than we are in a single family. Exactly. Mm -hmm. For sure. I know one question a lot of people have, um, a lot of clients I've spoken with as well, is how, if they want to try to become a real estate professional, I get this a lot. They're like, well, what counts, Heather? Like what counts toward my 750 hours and how do I track it? And what should I do? Because especially a spouse, they're often a spouse or they maybe have a 1099. They don't have like a set hour schedule that they work. And so they, I say, well, talk to your accountant, see if that qualifies as you know not your main source of time spent. So maybe some some information on how, if they're wanting to qualify for real estate professional, what they can do. Sure. So real estate professional time is time spent in a real estate business. And so there's a difference between in a real estate business and being just a real estate investor. I don't mean to say just real estate investor, but that's how the IRS looks like, right? A real estate investor buys a property, maybe looks at it once, maybe doesn't ever look at it, has a property manager who does everything. They don't see the money ever come in. They don't pay for any expenses. They don't approve anything. They just, it's almost like having a mutual fund of real estate, right? You bought it, you hope and pray, and it comes back, right? So that's an investor. A real estate professional being in a business, you are involved to some extent in that running of that property. And so the IRS actually put out, uh, there's a list of items and it's a little contradictory to some of the other things they say. So it's back to more of a, what does this look like to the IRS? But time spent in acquiring a property, 
time spent in building a properties, time spent in rehabbing a property, time spent in managing the property, trying to find tenants for the property, all these things that have to do with, with a real estate business. Time spent talking to your property manager, they would say, no, that's something an investor would do. So it needs to be something more than just what an investor would do. So, and so when you combine all of those things, it would seem to me that it would be more like a business and then time talking to the manager, manager actually makes a little more sense. If that's all you do, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But if, and, and something else that just, just popped in my head, tell me if this is accurate, but if, if I'm getting ready to put a property, call it a fourplex under contract that is you know, due to be built, so it's, it's a pre-construction deal, would it be in my best interest then if I'm trying to do this to, instead of have the builder build it, buy it when it's done, would it be in my best interest to go get a construction loan on that property and be more involved mm. in, the, in the draw schedule and idea. what's going on with the property? Basically, at the end of the, deal, right. at the, end of the day, you get the same result. There's a hell of a lot more proof when you've, you've got a loan oh, yeah, and you're doing no, draws. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great idea. And timing is important, right? So you qualify for real estate professional status every year. You're not once you're once a real estate professional, always a real estate professional, right? So every year we look for that time. And, and so that's what happened with me, Warren. It was once a real estate professional, <laughs> always been one. You got bit by the bug. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in, in what you're saying is, so yeah, if, especially if the process starts early in the year and then you take possession of the property and it's available for rent by the end of the year, that works. But also think of the scenario that, okay, I've got a couple of other properties now that I'm struggling to get enough time for. But if I'm spending all that time constructing the new property, mm-hmm. that counts. Because one of the things, this is, this is important. Uh, if, you know, if we're doing your tax return, it's going to happen. We'll, 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 we always get this, but a lot of accountants miss this for real estate professionals. That if you have more than one property, and generally, if you're a real estate professional, you're going to have to have more than one property, right, to spend the, the the time necessary, unless it's just a really big property. But that 750 hours or more time on real estate than anything else is a property by property distinction. In other words, if you have three properties, you got to spend 750 on each. There's an election you're allowed to make, but it has to be someone has to check the box on the tax return oh. that says you are electing to combine all of your real estate activities into one activity. So that huh. would then come back and say, yes, that time I spent kind of looking over the shoulder of the general contractor running the running the project counts against all my other properties. And there's arguments made, hey, let's say I'm a real estate agent. So what do I do? I'm buying and selling. I'm, I'm in spending time in acquiring properties and selling properties. Those all are things listed as real estate professional time. Well, it's maybe not my own property, but if I make an election to aggregate all of my real estate activities into one activity, we can go that direction, right? Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. It's very important that if you're working with another accountant that and you have multiple properties and you want to be a real estate professional, look through towards the end of your tax return where the statements are. There should be an election that's kind of plain English. It says the taxpayer and sometimes has your name is electing to treat all their real estate as as, as one activity and some wording along those lines, all the software is wow. words for it. That's really important. Holy cow. I can imagine if you miss checking that, that could be a big problem. Right. Yeah. 
Now, there are some times we don't want to do that, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But there, with okay. as with everything, there's some negative to doing it and positive to doing it. And some some people's situation, it might not be the best idea. But and that's okay. you know that's the other thing too, Warren, is that we come on here. Heather and I come on here and we share all kinds of things with everybody. I think all of it's pretty good. That doesn't make it good for everybody. Right. Right. Yes. And there's a bunch of people out there that CPAs, there's some asset protection attorneys, and there's you know, real estate guys and gals that put this one size fits all thing out there because they that whatever they're doing is the best thing for everybody. And it's literally not. That's oh, yeah. one of the reasons why you need to have someone help you plan. I remember distinctly talking to you about somebody who wanted to use passive losses, who owned a couple of different businesses. And after you had talked to them for a little while, you realized that those businesses had passive income. Those passive incomes all in the same bucket, which he would have never figured that out. That's a good point. On his own, right? And he would have just missed taking all of the depreciation offset that he could have because he didn't realize that money all went in the same bucket. That is why planning is so important and talking to somebody who understands more what you're trying to accomplish yes. so that they can help you accomplish it, right? Critical, critical. It's not yep. one size fits all, people. Yeah, yeah. Would, what kind My of life would be so much easier if it was, right? <laughs> I, can just, I can just be like sitting at the beach, just rubber stamping stuff, but now I'm yeah, in a bunker. That, that was the last question that I wanted to talk about is, a great segue into it. What do you, you do with your clients in a year-end tax planning session? Because I'm I'm working to schedule mine, Warren. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Dang it. I'm going to have a hard time fitting uh, in, I, I think. think but... I'm, I think I'm actually on the calendar, but I don't know <laughs> when. So I have to fill out my forms. I haven't done my forms, but this is giving me renewed energy to fill out my forms. But the year-end tax planning, I've done it every year with your office. It's been amazing. So talk to us about why that's important. So there's a lot of things we can do if we're talking right now to make April less taxing, right? We can, there's moves we can make that we can do. Sorry. No, that was really good. That was just Um, like, it slipped it right in there. Like you didn't even say it. Yeah, I liked it. So, but once December 31st goes away, we lose a whole bunch of tools that we have on our tool belt that we can use. It's there's still some, we still have some tricks up our sleeve, but we're much more limited as to what we can do because the year's over and now it's time to account for everything that's happened during that year. And, and that's it. So looking this time of the year, we can do a really good job of guessing how much income you're going to have for the year. We kind of, with a lot of our clients, we work with this throughout the whole year, but if we're looking at in March, trying to figure out what your income is going to be for the year, it's a much bigger guess than now here in November, looking at how much we can guess pretty good a month and a half, how much more income you're going to make. And so we have actually have software. We have tax projection software, not all that super smart. We use software to help us. And we take that tax projection software. We project out how much you're going to make. It'll tell us what the taxes are going to be. And then it lets us do what if scenarios, which is the fun part. So then we can say, well, what if we did this instead? 
and it runs through the calculations like here's the tax results sometimes it actually surprises us because there's so many things in there one thing affects so many other things that if we get your income under a certain level for this all of a sudden now you're qualifying for things we weren't even thinking about that pop back in now because you qualify so we have to use software but so we get to do a bunch of what if scenarios and come up with the optimal amount you know maybe it's hey yeah definitely close on this property for the end of the year that's sometimes a hard one maybe some guys it's hey that SUV you're thinking about buying it this year will have a ripple effect because you're right at the border here. You buy that. Not only will you save that, yeah. but now you're just going to make you eligible for something else also. Yeah. Maybe it's, and this is a sore subject for some people. Some people love this. this some people hate it, but you know, maybe putting money in a retirement account makes some sense. There's actually people we've talked to about maybe taking money out of your retirement account because this is a really good year for it and maybe not taking it out, but converting it to a Roth. So we actually, there's actually, believe it or not, there's actually people whose income, by increasing their income, we actually get a better tax result. Wow. Because their income's too low and they're missing out on credits. People who we drive their income all the way to zero or negative that sounds like it's a good thing, but there, maybe there's also a bunch of tax credits that they were eligible for huh. that because they're not paying any tax, they don't get. So if we do, if we convert some of the retirement money over to Roth, we bring their income up. Now they get to use those credits and they still don't pay any tax, but now their retirement money is in a Roth and, and they're not going to pay taxes on it. And that that's the kind of magic you don't yeah. get. I swear, every time... I hear one of our clients say that they went to like H&R Block or whatever. Yeah. I puke in my mouth a little bit and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I guarantee you, I'm not a CPA. I know enough to be a little bit dangerous, but I guarantee you, you left thousands of dollars on the table. I mean, thousands, well, potentially let, tens of thousands. Let's be honest about it. So if all you are is, if all you have is a W-2, right? You have a W-2, maybe you have a couple investments in the stock market but you don't own any real estate. You don't have a business. You don't do it. HR block is perfect for you, right? Because there's nothing anybody can do to help you. The the tax code was designed against you. We have two tax codes in this country and people go, are two basically two tax codes in this country. And people go, yeah, 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 Warren. It's the tax code for the rich and the tax code for the poor. I'm like, no, no. You're listening to the media too much. There's a tax code for employees <laughs> and there's a tax code for business owners and investors. Mm-hmm. Then I think about it and I go, oh, maybe that is a tax code for the rich and the tax code for, <laughs> for but. Uh, yeah, but uh, the great thing is in America, you can just move. You can just yeah. decide, I'm not going to do this one anymore. I'm going to do this one over here. It's your yep. choice. You do not have to be, you don't have to be anything you don't want to be. Well, you can well, be anything well, you want to be. And, and, you know, because of that, that allows you to move and take advantage of the tax code that was written to, you know, increase business yep. and investment in the country and in in, you know, do like Warren was saying earlier, provide housing and yep. other certain things that are good for everybody. And good hell, all the investors have already been taxed. I don't know how many times yeah. you tax the same money anyway. I mean, there's reasons for it, people. Learn what the reasons are and then stop yes. being pissed about it and get yourself some. Mm-hmm. Right. People, people are complaining and saying, oh, yeah, you gave all these tax breaks and blah, blah, blah. And that's why we need more. We need increased taxes because the deficit's higher. Actually, you know, in, in 2020, last year, I have numbers for, was the highest revenue to the government in history. Mm-hmm. Yet the deficit still increased. 
2021, I'm sure we'll probably break that record. So even though we gave all these tax breaks, we stimulated the economy so much that people who are paying, they might be paying a much lower percentage, but the number is so much higher that the government's taking even more money than they ever had before. Yep. Penalized production, you get less of it. Yep, exactly. Everybody knows that that's what we do with our children, right? You want less of something, you penalize it. You want more (laughs) of something, you reward it. That's li- I mean, it's not any more complicated than that, right? Yeah, very true. Yeah, Raise taxes, you're going to get a whole lot less money because people aren't going to make it. There's, there's not enough There's not enough incentive. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tax somebody at 100%, you can get away with it once, but you don't think they're ever going to earn any income ever again, are they? No mm-hmm. way. Exactly. Exactly. All right. We're well, going down on these tangents, Ron. I'm no, telling I was- you. I, I, so... I think we ending, got though. all of the questions answered from from the people who were writing in asking us, hey, we need help with this stuff. So it was a great episode. Tons of information in there. I hope yeah. everybody, you should replay this one because there were several nuggets of gold in there. Always yeah, are when it, Warren comes on the show. That's right. This won't be the last time, I'm sure, Warren. <laughs> so thank you. We appreciate well, thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Love talking to you. Been looking forward to this for a few weeks now since it showed up on the yeah. calendar. Nice. Warren, hey, really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Appreciate it. If everybody, if anybody wants to reach out to uh, Warren, um, how do they get a hold of you, Warren? How do they get a hold of your team? Well, I did this last time. It was pretty good. So we do, and I'll invite all the people listening here to this. It's for our clients, but you guys are all friends too. We have this thing. We call it our Thursday afternoon call. Every Thursday at three o'clock Pacific time, we have a conference call we do. We don't have a curriculum. We don't have anything. The accountants that work for me, they all take turns every week. And it's just to answer people's quick questions. So nice. if you have questions, you want to, you want answers. Now we don't necessarily know a whole lot about you. So we're going to answer very generally. It's not private, but you don't have to say who you are. And if, if you go to the website is Thurs, T-H-U-R-S call.com. So Thursday call.com uh-huh. without the day on it, thurscall.com. There's a little sign in thing. You sign in, we'll email you the phone number and the access code to it and when it is. And plus, that'll also be a gateway into our company if you want any other information from us. Great. Awesome. Idea. Well, we really appreciate that. I'm, I'm sure a bunch of people will take you up on it. We will also put that in the show notes, everybody. So, Warren, once again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Heather. It's always fun. Yeah, thank you. Till next week, everybody, get out there and make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.